we're back. We are back. We Whether we're better than ever, I don't know, because we're just a two-legged stool right now, but we're back. Mandatory music and CD is back in 2024. Hello, this is the show where friends get together and they break down music that shaped our lives, album by album, track by track. And I'm here as part of my two-legged stool with everybody's favorite Liverpudlian bassist. I'm not saying there might be a different Liverpudlian bassist that people might know, <laughs> but my favorite Liverpudlian Davis, Dave Horex. How are you, friend? Hey, Tony. I'm not too bad. I think there is a, another one that's a, a bit more popular. At but least one. Only, only least... a little. Yeah, <laughs> only a little bit. People, how are you, sir? It, it's been ages. I know. It? I mean, we we talked about we were going to end of year do all of our favorite guitarists and yeah. and calendars just haven't been able to sync up. For so months. in the end, we've just uh, said let's go ahead. We're not going to do what we said we were going to do. We're going to do something different, but it's still great to get on and, and chat some music with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we're going to do, friends, friends who've been patiently waiting for mandatory music and CD to come back, because we all have such weird lives. And as you can tell from our accents, one of us lives in America. And um, and just because life is hard. Um, so our deal is if two of us can get together, we're going to we're going to do it. We're going to make it a monthly. And if two of us can get together, we're going to record it. Obviously, ideally, it'd be all three of us. We'll try to bring in some guests again, like we did with Matt Lloyd last year. We're going to do our best to give you 12 episodes this year, once a month. And again, we'll try to do those guitarist rankings. <laughs> End of 2024. So here we are, January 2024. And so, Dave, this was what we did because Max wasn't here. And it was Max's pick, The Maiden which is still hanging over us and we will, we will do. Um, but we didn't want to do Max's pick without Max. So Dave, we called the audible and we jumped to your pick. Tell it. And of course they can read. So we always do this. Like it's some big reveal. <laughs> you and Chris do it. Like, what are we going to watch this week at the beginning yeah. of everyone? And you're like, well, you read it. It says right there that you just did, you know, predator. Um, but in case people didn't read, and they just came up because you know sometimes their players just play the next thing in their feed. It, it could be on the you know driving along, and it's just right. the next thing. So, right. Yeah. So what <laughs> what are we going to do? So we are going to do the 1992 sort of called grunge album "Dirt" by Alice in Chains. Nice. Okay. So this was your pick, and um, so tell everybody. What your at what's your Alice in Chains story and how and I like that you said sort of grunge because I have thoughts on that. Yeah, so so I'd love to discuss that one as well because yeah, yeah, I, I'm I, they're from Seattle and they were in the early nineties, so they were kind of labeled grunge, but I I I don't think they are. I think they're hard rock, alternative metal, any of those labels before grunge for me. But um, my first exposure to these was watching Beavis and Butthead on MTV, probably 92 and or 93, I don't really remember. And I, I hadn't caught any of the first albums. So uh, I know Man in a Box was quite popular, appeared on Beavis and Butthead as well. But this was Them Bones. And it came on with just that, ah! <laughs> How it starts, and I was which we'll like, discuss "Holy soon. Yeah. shit!" And like the the video was so dark, and it, it you know the the guy who's singing looks so cool, Lane Staley, and he's got his he didn't look like a rocker, you know. I think we talked about extreme, hadn't we? You know, <laughs> he had yeah. Gary Sharon there, and all <laughs> hamming it up, and you, he'd had all the hairspray rock and everything like that. 
this guy just looked like fucking like a gangster or something and and it was so like in your face and i was like what what is this you know it, it was like one of those holy shit moments and then i kind of got got the album taped you know and and listened to the album but it's one of those that it's just got better over the years for me and i think they did get thrown into that kind of grunge pot you know because it, seattle was the the center of the universe those early 90s years wasn't it oh, but yeah. um for me this this is something a, a bit different and so yeah i this is still one of my favorite albums and definitely fits the bill for being a mandatory album for me nice nice that's cool yeah so i was i'm older than you as we've established um and so I was in college, university, as you would say, when this came out. And um, growing up a poor kid, like the grunge, when the grunge movement hit, those people were called grunge because of how they looked as much as how their music sounded. And, um, you know, like they, they shot, they wore flannels and they wore layers and they 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 had like, um one one of my fun tricks was to put long johns underneath a pair of ripped up jeans because you know you couldn't afford new jeans, but long johns were like six bucks, and yeah. so those were like I even remember one time walking across campus um, and and I had like shorts on and long johns because and somebody was like looking awfully grunge today and I was, and I snapped I'm like fuck you these are my clothes, um like this is this was. I was grunge first, just like they were, you know, they were these kids who, who, so I don't feel Alice in Chains, like you said, was grunge. The, the thing was that grunge was, as you pointed out, and as, as I think is the big, is the big thing, is it, it was the antithesis to hair metal, right? Hair metal happened and then grunge kicked the shit out of hair metal, right? And so that is what, so anything that wasn't that, got labeled as grunge well but if you look back at the hair metal bands one of my all-time favorite hair metal bands hair metal isn't a hair metal band tesla but they were lumped in with them because they just happened to be a hard rock band that during the hair metal times like hair metal is warrant and winger and poison that is real hair metal and that stuff is fun for what it is it's just pop metal right it's not real hard rock. I mean, there's nothing about Poison where you're like, rock! You're like, that's just a fun pop song that just also happens to have a, a ripping guitar solo over it. So, um, so yeah, I was there for the whole grunge revolution. Um, Alice in Chains was one of those bands that I thought of the big three grunge, right? So you're talking Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains. I think they were kind of, is that how you think of the ones who kind of broke grunge, the three of them? I mean, I would, <clears throat> for me, got the t-shirt today. Nirvana. Nirvana. Yeah. So yeah, Nirvana no, I guess you're right. Yeah, that's true. The, I guess I always, I struggle with Nirvana two. being grunge. I guess you're yeah. right. They are, they are, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I, I guess they, they kind of, they were my exposure to it. Yeah, that's you know, true. I remember on, <clears throat> hearing on MTV, Smells Like Teen Spirit, and I was just like, holy shit what is this yeah. you know and uh, yeah. it was something completely different and then i was always more kind of nirvana than i was pearl jam i, sure. I think years later i came to appreciate pearl jam but even now i'm like 
there, there was something you say about the grunge kind of movement and and kind of where it came from and they they seemed a bit too rock and roll for me they they were a bit flashy and it, it, like anti what i felt like grunge was but sure. um yeah. yeah i mean soundgarden stone temple pilots there's so many wasn't there coming yeah. out around that time yeah. no and it is true i guess you're right i guess because to me i remember seeing smells like teen spirit debut on headbangers ball right and then it played on 120 minutes which was the alternative mm-hmm show on mtv later that because i'm old and watched got all my new music from mtv um no i guess you're right i guess they were they i mean i get and people are screaming at their device like of course nirvana's grunge but to me they just were always a band apart whereas mm-hmm. like nirvana happened and then these other bands happened but i always felt like musically pearl jam was the best of them mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'd agree with that lyrically i always thought alice Chain alice and chains wins the lyric award like I've always felt that that was the thing that they had going for them. Um, and we'll, as we'll discuss. Um, so they weren't my favorite of those bands. I don't actually care for um, Soundgarden at all. That was just not, I just, they didn't do anything for me. I was just like, mm, Chris Cornell. Because what it did was it wasn't Lane Staley's voice, as we'll discuss, is very unique. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what Chris Cornell is doing. Like it's like he can sing, but he's trying to scream. And that just never, never worked for me. Whereas Lane does just doing what he's doing. You know, it's making this noise. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on some Soundgarden stuff in the, in the future, but yeah, I mean, I I never saw Soundgarden, but I did see Audio Slave. I, oh, okay. I thought Chris Cornell was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, really, really good. And uh, it just has that proper growl. Another tragic story, really, isn't it? You know, just like Lane. such I a know. talented guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. It happens, right? It is a, there's, there's, and this album to me is about that, is about that tragedy, yeah. right? Which, which we'll do. So anyway, so you, so that means you never saw them. You didn't get to see Alice in Chains. No, no, just, uh, I mean, the, Unfortunately, I guess the the wheels started to fall off really around this album, didn't it? You yeah. know, I, I only found out years later, but even when they were recording the album, it was it was in LA around the time of the riots. They literally, you know, when all the footage uh, was being released and everything, and everything was kicking off, they had to get out of the studio. Um, Jerry was apparently in a 7-Eleven or something and it, it was getting looted and then he's driving off and seeing other people get pulled out of cars and beaten up and stuff and it's yeah. like, fucking hell. Meanwhile, Lane's off trying to score himself some heroin. <laughs> right. He's not bothered after the curfew or whatever. But I just think in that kind of environment, you know, it just goes to the really dark i i want to say undertone but it's not the right word because it's just the tone yeah it's just <laughs> you know, the tone the, the whole, no doubt yeah the the whole feel of it and uh you know they didn't stay together really for that much longer after this and it was only if you think 92 it first came out but you know they were massive in 93 it was only like 10 years later that i think it was 2002 he, he died lane away. died in 2002 yeah yeah so, um, I mean, they, they probably made it over to the UK, but, you know, you'd have had to have caught them literally on this tour. Yeah. And I, so I saw that, well, so I didn't see them on this tour. I saw them on the tour of this album. So they were on Lollapalooza. 
um, was it 93 or 94? Um, and they played in, um, so Wild Flusa, for those of people who don't know, used to be a big tour that Perry Farrell uh, from um, Porno for Pyros and Jane's Addiction started. And it was just like, a, it was like an all day music festival. And there would be multiple stages. And the original lineup was always, for the first three or four years, um, uh, Jane's Addiction always headlined, right? And then it would be three kind of co-headliners and then a bunch of other acts on different stages throughout the day. And so I saw, I went to three or four different Lollapaloozas. This one, the one in Michigan, this particular one was at a at a place called, it was in Milan, Michigan. It wasn't up in Detroit. And it was a place where they had, um, uh, they do drag racing. And so it was humongous. And so therefore it was like, you couldn't really sell out. So wow. it was just like in a field and it was madness. It was madness, madness, madness. So it rained this day that I was there. So, um, so that's where I saw them. So they were part of the three co-headliners. They were the middle one. So it was Dinosaur Jr., Alice in Chains, and then Primus as the headliner headliner. So Alice in Chains was squeezed in there. Um, they sounded great, but maybe Rage was on that one. I think Rage was on that tour too. So I think they oh, were. Wow. So yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure Rage, Rage was on that tour as well. So like Rage is there. Dinosaur Jr.'s there. There's a band called Arrested Development. They were a hip-hop group. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah, remember yeah. them? I do, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. They were unbelievable. The show they put on was spectacular. Um, Tool played on a different stage. I was never a big Tool fan. Um, but Fishbone was there. Fishbone, like the, 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 you know, the, the kind of ska metal punk band. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So all of that's happening in the middle of the dinosaur junior set the rain comes and so then the next band up is them after the after the rain ends and so you've got all this energy and all this stuff like i actually got an earring kicked out of my head in the mosh pit for the fishbone show oh, like man. it's crazy <laughs> i was right up against the the rail for um arrested development and they put on this amazing show so then they come out and they are out of their minds i don't think that they thought they were going to play because of the rain right so Lane just stood still for 45 minutes and leaned on his cane. And he oh, would occasionally God. bend down, like squat down and like point his cane while he was singing. And then he'd stand back up and lean on the cane. And that was the show. And then Primus came out, empty stage. You know, Primus has only got three guys. Yeah, yeah. Drummer's up here. Les is over on the left. Guitarist over on the right. And they run. They are running, jumping. Yeah, like yeah. Parkour shit for an hour. So... While Alice in Chains, I remember them sounding good. It was like they just literally got sandwiched in the middle of this. And I think they were out of their minds because I think yeah. they thought, oh, well, we're get the show's getting canceled. Let's get fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think now because obviously the, the I guess you're going to do the lineup in a minute. But yeah, I guess Mike Starr had already been sacked by this point. But by the time you saw them on that tour. You know, I think he did tour the Lollapalooza tour. Right. Okay. I think he toured the Lollapalooza tour. Um, yeah, so it says in, in 93, June to August of 93, they joined Primus, Tool, Rage. Mm -hmm. Babes, I forgot Babes in Toyland was there. And this was the last tour they played with Staley, it says. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so at, this was it. That was it for yeah. them. But I don't know. So I thought Star was there. But again, they were really, other than they sounded pretty good, they were pretty unmemorable compared to all of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think 
it checks out, doesn't it? That they're, they're pretty much out of their faces. I, I think I, again, I, I just think it's part of the tragedy and the the kind of mythos around this album. If you listen to Facelift, and and in fact, if you see Lane Staley earlier on, he, he's on some like public channel stuff. He's he's proper into his hair metal you can tell he's got the peroxide big wild hair and stuff you know he looks like a glam rocker and you know you listen to facelift and and there are some bits of it and you think this is a a little bit like extreme or something and you know i just don't think him in particular just didn't handle the fame very well he didn't handle the fact that you know if you go to a restaurant people want to come up and disturb you and they think they own you and you know and you owe them something and so i think a bit like kurt cobain he, he just handled the fame quite badly and then just saw drugs as a as a way out of it and then all of that just that plunges the whole band i mean i, I think he I can't remember if he introduced heroin to Mike Starr or, you know, but Mike Starr ended up getting kicked out of the band. Apparently, you know, to stay at home more was the official story, but, you know, it's because of his drug drug problems, really. So, um, yeah, again, it, it's just a, a tragic, tragic album, really, if you think about what kind of happened after. Yeah, it's true. And again, they, they did sound great. I mean, they, they sound like they were definitely... The one thing I'll say about all the grunge and early 90s alternative thing that I always appreciated about them is this was, you know, the pre and I know like Cher kind of invented auto tuning around this time. They didn't touch it like this was really honest, raw, almost like recording together, like live recording. And that we talked about we talked about the Foo Fighters, Mm -hmm. what a shit show that album was because they were all (laughs) recording separately in the mix and all that where this like these were the bands were like, let's get in the studio and fucking record it. Yeah. And you it as a as a musician who has recorded some, what did you prefer? Did you think that your recording sounded better when you essentially air quotes recorded live in the studio as opposed to everybody laying down the tracks? Do you think it added because this was clearly them recording it all together, which is what like you said, they had to move back up to Seattle to finish the recording because they mm-hmm. didn't they couldn't mix it that's not how they were doing it so what did you like and do you think that adds the quality to this kind of music so i think it's interesting the way lane used to to record he didn't like anyone watching him so he'd always have himself kind of boxed off and uh people were like how the hell is he making his voice sound like that and then they layer on his tracks his vocal tracks and and he gets this unique sound i mean no one else sounds like lane staley and uh he's, he's amazing the i think recording your individual tracks in a studio has it makes you improve as a musician mm. when you're playing live you can be really sloppy and get away with stuff you can not hit a note bang on you know you can miss time things a little bit but i've said i saw it many a time when people would go into a studio a little bit cocky yeah i played this in the in the pub or whatever you know played it in the practice room and then think that they're just going to play it as they play it live but you have to be so crisp your timing has to be spot on so it is really really different um so I I think it's the the way we used to do it. We'd record uh, what you call like a ghost track. So you'd all play together, 
so you got the timing and everything and then the drummer can you, you mic up each individual uh drum and cymbal and whatever so you so you can isolate that particular thing and eq it or do whatever you want with it but then the drummer's got the whole song the whole band he can hear in his in his uh earphones whatever and then you tend to put on the bass and then you know try and get that as near as perfect as you can get it and then the guitars then the vocals and backing vocals and what have you so that's how i tended to do it i don't there aren't many bands now you know when we were talking about the sabbath album you know they they pretty much would record it all together but i don't think there's many albums that that where they do that now well, yeah. so, certainly not now. <laughs> so, well, right, like, yeah, because you don't even need to be in the same room. When I was talking to Lars and, yeah. and uh, Schaefer, they were never even in the same city when they played that album. And there's plenty on that album where they're singing, where they're um, either harmonizing or singing together. And that's just mixed, which is crazy. Yeah. And again, that's why producing is a skill. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Oh, 100% is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, so let's get to it. So we've got 13 tracks. Um, like like Dave said, it came out in 92. Uh, they released five singles, Wood, Them Bones, Angry Chair, which we'll get to why that was released as a single. I don't know. Rooster and Down a Hole. Um, it, it took them months. They started in California, went up to Seattle, came back to California to finish. 57 minutes, 37 seconds. Their second, second really only final studio album with the original uh, quartet. Um, which was Lane, as, as David has been sailing, Lane Saley as lead vocals, um, Jerry Cantrell as co-lead vocalist and really kind of co- main, the main songwriter, Mike Starr on bass, uh, Sean Kinney on drums, um, and then a, a special appearance by Slayer's Tom Araya on the um, untitled track, which is also called Iron Gland, depending on yeah. which we'll get to, kind of a nothing track, but interesting. So let's drop it. Oh, them, them bones. So Dave, this is what it is. This is the one that got you. Two minutes, 30 seconds written by Jerry, the man himself, Jerry Cantrell. Tell me about it. Unbelievable. I, I just think the power uh, is, it just, it, it bursts out of the speakers or your headphones or whatever you're listening on. And uh, it's funny, I, I listened to interviews with Jerry and he talks about uh, Lane just improved this bit because you know originally they didn't have this the shouting bit mm. <laughs> really it's hardly it's hardly like improving you know scat or something like that or a bit of jazz it's just literally shouting uh you know right on the beat and what is interesting about this as well it's it's some weird kind of timing it's not like a four four time either oh, no. it's just really really short and that all of the rhythm parts for through this album are really interesting there's nothing that's just purely obvious and you know four four time all the way through oh but, yeah not i mean this all. is not this even is, through a whole song sometimes no this is yeah. um this is two and a half minutes mm-hmm. of pure unadulterated power and it is just we always say don't we you've got to start off the the album with a bang and i don't think there's there's any better there there are some that where you'd say you know it's probably equal that we've discussed discussed some absolute great albums on this show 
But yeah, I think for uh, this kind of setting the tone for the whole album, uh, it's just the perfect track for me. Yeah, I think it starts off, it's one of those, what I like about it, and I'll have something to say when we get to the end, like as an album as a whole. I, I mean, I think this is what the joy of the show is that we could do the whole album because people don't listen to music that way anymore, which is a crime. And uh, we that's where we want to remind everybody that this album is is organized a certain way, as we were talking about, it was produced a certain way. And just like that, like when you think about like doing weird fuck up things in the studio, I'm not a big, huge Radiohead fan, but you know, their biggest hit, their breakout hit, Creep, that feedback was a that, that was a mistake in the studio that was just they were like that's awesome so just this like him coming in with the screaming over the top so this song was supposed it's not only isn't it four four time dave it starts in the middle of the beat yeah it, and the first time you hear it you're almost like wait did, did i did i not hit play in the right place did i have it forwarded too far like what what happened? How did how did I get there? And so I do think it makes it really unique. And I think it sets the tone, like you said, for um, we're going to do something a little bit different here. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's it, just um, like I say, from that first time of hearing it on Beavis and Butthead and then seeking it out. You know, I love just, that. It was Beavis I, and Butthead. I never get bored of it. You know, and uh, I think Beavis said, oh, no, I think it was Butthead said this is the coolest video i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and i i can't disagree with them at all I, even when i hear it you know just that little bit now i can just see lane staley with his cool black shades his leather jacket just screaming down the vocals and then you've got that that um effect where you can see him in the puddle as well uh and then you've got scorpions and everything just oh love it and it's funny too. You always know when Beavis and Butthead like it. That's interesting because they they <laughs> sucks. they hate most everything. And so for them to really like it, um, that says that says quite a bit about it. Yeah, I think what I like about them bones too is it, it really is um, the beginning of the story. And I yeah. I see this as a concept album. So as we're going mm -hmm. through this, I'm going to keep connecting the songs. I think it's very. And that's why I'm not a big, like the iron gland gets in the way, I think, of that a little bit when we get there, mm -hmm. um, of the rest of it. So um, I know they stay. There's all kinds of stories where, you know, we live in a time where people get to talk about the songs they wrote. And um, but as I was listening to this over the, you know, over the last little while when we decided this is what we were going to do, it changed me. I mean, I'll be honest. When I first said we're doing when you were like, we're going to do dirt, I was like, okay. I don't remember the last time I listened to this album in full. I didn't own it until now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was so. I, I will say to you, my whole feeling on it has changed doing through this process because I think the the this is where the um, the sum is greater than the parts in, in mm -hmm. this to, for me for this album. Well, I think there's a couple yeah. of banging singles, and I do think "Them Bones" is one of the best songs on the record as a record. Um, it really does something special. So yeah, I really love the lyrics. I like what's happening. Um, some of sometimes the lyrics are a little too just like on the nose. Um, but uh, in this particular case, I think I think that you're telling the audience, like you said, this is cool, but also buckle the fuck up. Yeah, and I love it. Like you say, this is definitely an album album. You know, in the in the old sense. I mean, the fact is. You know they have to release singles, and and that's fine. And and yeah, this this one for me is the 
is one of the standout singles. I guess I would say Down in a Hole and Rooster are probably your, your commercial type tracks, but uh, this is one to just get the metalheads involved. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, you know, it is true. And I think they did. They used to play with metal bands, right? They opened for metal acts. They also opened for punk acts, you know, like they're on again, maybe that's so why they were labeled as grunge. I don't know because they didn't know what to label them. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they they were. Um, I don't know if it was the Lollapalooza. I, I think it might have been after that, but they, they were supporting Metallica, I think. And, yeah. And they ended up dropping out and then uh, Hetfield was taking the piss out of their addictions and what have you, which I think was a bit of a dick move. But um, yeah, so so I, I think had they been in any any other time from any other place, you know, those two things had to happen. They had to be around in the late 80s, early 90s and, you know, play nothing poppy, you know, and then they'd be labeled grunge. You're right. You that's, know, that's it. If both of those things or if one of those two things weren't true, then they'd be metal. Every day no, of the week. I think you're right. I think you're totally right. And I think history will prove will bear that out. Right. So all right. Yeah. Well, that's that's track one. So track two, it's 309, also written by Cantrell, is called Damn the River. Now, Dave. My favorite. This may be my favorite song. Because this sets the tone for the entire album, something that I noticed they do, and I want to, you're the musician here. This sounds like water. The b- rhythm section moves like waves. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. And so I think that's because this kind of sets the tone. A few other songs do it too. Uh, Down in the Hole does something. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, this, I think this may be my favorite song. Um, lyrically, but musically, I really dig what they're doing. So tell me, bass player, what the bass is doing here. So I mean, the the tone of the bass, uh, it, it, you can't really. It gets a, it gets lost a little bit, I think, in the in Jerry's guitar. I mean, oh, the the guitar actually sounds amazing in this, but when you can hear the bass, really, the tone of that is just perfect as well for me. But I, I hadn't really thought about it being river, but for me, it's it's like it's almost like a train. It, it is definitely a, that rolling kind of feeling, and yeah, and I get that. I think, I think they were, you know, one of my favorites as well. Sabbath, Black Sabbath, they they were influenced by them quite a bit as well. And Sabbath would probably slow it down a little bit, but this was definitely more driving and. Again, you you see the kind of uh, metal influence here, where you've got that riff just going away. I mean, that that could be Nuno Betancourt playing something like that as well, couldn't they? I, I think, I, I for me though, I mean, it, it is an amazing one from the rhythm section point of view. But I think as well, it, we we heard the screams from Lane Staley in in Them Bones, but you get that growl. And the tone of his voice coming across in this one as well. And, you know, you get the range, you know, and he's, oh, you good and damn the river. <laughs> it's just, I, I think it sounds so, so good. And you're starting to see, I, I, you know, where this starts to come together as that album. Because I, I don't know if I would put this as, you know, one of my favorite songs on the album. But it's perfect to follow up them bones. 
it's perfect for this album. And I, I just, yeah. I, I think there are other songs for me that are stronger on it, but the the order we often play, don't we, with the the order and say, ah, oh, this this could go here and this could go there. Showing my cards straight away, I would not change a single track. You mentioned about Iron Gland, and that wasn't on my. I, I never remember that the copy I had didn't have that on. Mm. So that that sounds weird to my ears. But this this track listing is perfect for me. And down no, that no, river. I agree. I, and I heard that they actually originally, they because they're listed as co-producers of the band, it's probably Jerry, saying, no, no, we got to move a few things around. Um, and, I, and I believe that it was down the hole, was supposed to be later in the album originally. And then they, they're like, no, no, we've got a story we're telling here. And I agree. This We talked about with Hotel California, you know, you put all your goods up front. And then we we really reorganized that one because we're like if with in our reorgan with us as producers the album worked better, <laughs> yeah. but I agree I think this is because it is a tough it is a tough sell to come off of them bones and do something that is in the vein and if you listen to it kids if you listen to it without it being on your streaming service without commercials between it blends it's the next like it's produced so within an inch of its life so that the song kind of feel like they're together, them bones and damn the river too. So I think that makes it work. Yeah, because them bones, the way it finishes off, I mean it starts with a bang mm -hmm. and it falls off a cliff. And yeah. then you've almost got the one drummer hit hit together of the sticks and then yeah. bang, you're yeah. into damn that river. Yeah. I think it works really well. I do. I think that's where, again, the skill of it. So, yeah, I really, I just think the lyrics are cool. This is where, I mean, you know, calling it out, calling us on damn the river, you could make it, you know, it's a damn D-A-M, but then they use, I don't give a damn anyway, later in there. And I think they really play with lyrics. And again, with the last song on their album, they play with, like, there's a lot of illusions to me, again, going back, Alice in Chains, not my favorite of the bands from that era. I don't think they're mm -hmm. the best band from that era, but I always thought lyrically they did the most interesting things and spending the time writing writing notes. I've got pages of notes and like really <laughs> thinking through it, it only solidified my thought that Lane Staley had the, you know, and I know that when Jerry wrote a lot of the, wrote the lyrics as well, but I, you know, like you said, you improvise, you add, you add a layer mm -hmm. of something too. There's just lyrically, they're doing something that elevates them. And I, I'm so I, that's to me lands this one. So I think one of the it's probably a bigger thing in the other tracks, but for me, you've got Lane Staley's vocal, but and and like say his vocal tracked many times over, but somehow yeah. a little bit different to give it this big fat sound. But also Jerry's backing vocals his harmonies to it give it that such a unique and dark sound and and i think they did tune slightly differently i think they tuned down at, at least half a step which which lots of bands did mm. but then i think their e-string is tuned down even further and it just gives it that really dark sound but yeah the the harmonies for me the the vocals as well as the lyrics are the thing that that make them stand out and I guess I guess Soundgarden were a little bit different, but and you know Nirvana would have and and I guess Pearl Jam as well would have guitar solos, but for me the grunge movement was moving away from the the big you know guitar solos and and uh, the flashiness, 
Whereas I, I think I, I really like Jerry's uh, guitar solo in this. It's kind of, it is lead guitar, but it's it's also muddy. Oh, not muddy. That's not quite the right word. But you know, it's all messy and you know, not flashy at all. So I think again that that guitar solo is perfect for this track. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think well, you know, um, Eddie Vedder, and this is totally totally true. Um, when when Johnny Ramone was sick um, and going through cancer treatment, Eddie Vedder would fly down from Seattle once a week to mow his lawn. Wow. So, because he's like, I owe my career to Johnny Ramone because they're, you know, those guitar, Ramone guitar solos are like eight seconds and we're out. And there is <laughs> yeah. definitely, you know, there's something, there's a lot of punk sensibility here. You know, and we've talked about how metal and punk and, you know, because you're more, you and Max are more metal guys. I'm more of a punk guy, but there is a mm-hmm. place where they overlap. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, speaking of guitar, the next track, 601. Rain One of the Eye, written by all four members. I love this opening bass line. But let's let that go. Oh, so Listen good. to this. Let's let the guitar. Then the scratch, the pick down yeah. there. That's my. Yeah. Yeah, the cycle's made. This sounds like a jam. This yeah. this sounds yeah. like you've just you're just warming up. Yeah, well it's it's three songs. Right? I mean Rain When I Die is, I assume the reason that all four of them are credited is writing it feels like it's three mm-hmm. songs crammed into one eight. Yeah. And then there's oh, that piano keys. It's what it sounds like, but it's the guitar. So it's yeah. It is. It's <laughs> when you play above the neck. Yeah. But it sounds like piano keys. Like it's yeah. it sound, but again. It sounds like the rain, right? That's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, musically, this is a very interesting song. I personally think it outstays its welcome. Yeah. At the end, I think 601 is too long. And then that, to me, is what kneecaps it. Because that, I, I'm glad you played that out. Because I thought the first, I think the first minute and a half is the most interesting part. And if you're going to have a weird instrumental, it's this. And I almost feel like, it is. It's two very distinct songs. So maybe it needs to be like Rain When I Die intro, give it a different name, get to the other part, and then have the outro. And again, I think you cut the outro. I feel like it's a four minute song, four and a half minute song. There's that minute and a half intro that we just played, then the music, then the song. Because that bridge, and then the bridge in the song is almost another song, too. Yeah, I think again because because I'm such a, a Sabbath stan, I, I guess I, I forgive that because they yeah. they would often write songs, and then they'd they'd have a bit of one song and a bit of another one, and, and yeah. not know what to do with them, and go, oh, why don't we glue these two things together? <laughs> and and oh yeah, that that sort of works, doesn't it? On to the next one. Yeah. So yeah. it's possibly a little bit like that, but that intro is definitely. It feels to me like you've turned up to your your rehearsal studio or whatever, and you're just sort of getting your fingers nimble and whatever, and you're just messing around, creating these sounds. And again, it it just sounds really interesting to me in that beginning section. 
but again the for me the power of staley's vocals when when it comes into that when i die you know it's just you've got the he's holding that note but then you've got the well you know a bit of wire on there as well underneath and so i i i do think it could be trimmed a little bit this song um but it is a little bit longer than it probably needs to be but no, just uh, another cracking track for this album, I think. But, you know, if it was on a different album, would it stand out? Probably not. But just, again, it just fits so well here. No, totally true. And again, so this is, because when we get to the end, I'll tell you my what I think the story is of the album. But this is just adding another, like, I think of each of these songs as kind of chapters um, in a bigger story that they're telling. And so I, mm-hmm. this needs, and again, it needs to be right where it is. But again, to me, the fade out, Right. And the song goes away and then comes back for 15 more seconds, too. So it's like you already were overstaying your welcome a little. And then you yeah. do that at the end. So, again, like you said, though, they're like they're, they were having fun. The producer was like, cool. Um, you're getting into that. You know, this is in the 90s. People were making the move to CDs where you could get a little bit more mm. on there. You had more space. You could get a 57 minute album. So you had it on cassette, which is why the untitled track, which is less than a minute, but that extra minute could fuck up the whole cassette yeah, or the album if it were an on wax, you know, so, so you get a chance to play a little bit more when you're in a digital space, which is also mm. the thing with streaming now. You don't have to think about how long the songs are. You don't have to think about them yeah. fitting on an album. You're like, it doesn't matter. It's going to be mm-hmm. as long as it is. So, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's, it's again, I, I just... I gained a whole new appreciation for it. When I told Lee we were what the album was, she made a face because she's a hair metal. Like, I mean, well, the thing is, her favorite band is ACDC. Like, her favorite metal band is ACDC. And then her favorite band, so it's like Fleetwood Mac is her all-time favorite band. And then, like, 1A is ACDC. And I know they're totally different, but, like, she loves ACDC. Like, that's her metal band. And mm-hmm. all other metal bands. And her, like, for you at Sabbath, for her, all other metal bands are trying to be ACDC. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's her favorite. And they're not metal. They're, like, hard rock. Right. Mm-hmm. So for yeah. her, like, so when I said that she kind of made a face, like, this is, is it, this was she, grunge and this in particular, this kind of rock was never her thing. And I had said, well, you know, and I, at first I was like nervous about it. Like I told you, I was like, oh shit, Dave's going to be mad. <laughs> but that's the process though. And this isn't like Stockholm syndrome, like we did with physical graffiti. This is like <laughs> real, this is real appreciation for the process, which is why, you know, I'm glad we do it. So. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know there is a, a link as well to ACDC. Yeah, both appeared on Last Action Hero. That's coming soon. Hmm. I uh, I that is my pick, and I I it can't is. wait for you guys to talk. About it. I love that <laughs> soundtrack. I love that movie. You're right. Everything about yeah. I can't wait. You're right. Excellent. Good. Good job. We, good connection. And ACDC, you know, they know what they are. Um, grown men dressed like children. Playing music Another for very things. great band, to be fair. Oh, my God, I know. Oh, I know. I'm <laughs> sure they'll show up at some point in time Um, uh, on this show. All right, next up, um, coming in track four, Down in a Hole. This is written by Jerry again, 538. Now for something completely different, Dave. Yeah. Tell me about that. Them, this, talk about their harmonizing. Oh, so this is where I think the let's let's let this one ring out a bit. 
Unbelievable harmonies. I mean, it, you could be forgiven if you listen to it, you, you could just think it's the lead vocalist, but Jerry does play a really key role in in just uh, layering on top of the vocals there. And like I say, both vocals are, are multi-tracked. But um, no, just completely different, isn't it? Completely different change of pace. And I, I do think you've had that really strong, you know, hard rock three intro songs. And then, you know, this is kind of a, a, a ballad, I guess you would say, but he, he does say he wrote it about his girlfriend, his, you know, Jerry's longtime girlfriend. But for me, what stands out for this more is it's really hard to think of this and not think of the unplugged uh, performance as well. I don't know mm. if you've heard that, yeah, yeah. but such a haunting rendition of it you know when, when all of the uh distorted guitars are taken out of it you know it's still an amazing melodic tune and for me this is uh this speaks a lot more to like depression than it does uh, any kind of love story uh, you know some of the lyrics i i if i'm down at all this is one of my go-to tracks mm. that i listen to and and you know it's it, uh, what, what are the lyrics now something like down in a hole and i don't know uh i don't know if i can escape i yeah. should have them here yeah. really well and that's um, but, but it's, it's well that's just what it is is it's um there's a there's a part of it so so there's that where the line where it says you know he's down in the hole i don't know if i can escape and then there's all this happening. And then there's this moment where it soars to the sky, right? Mm -hmm. And the music goes up and his, their voices go up and they're yeah. playing with the lyrics. So to me, there's another rhythm that's happening, right? We talked about the lapping of the, of the music and you heard it like a train. And if you keep your train metaphor here, there's a very monotonous thing. Like there's a digging sound, like you're digging a hole. You're, mm -hmm. you're not in the hole. You're digging your own grave is the, the feel I get from this. And like, and again, just to play with the lyrics, to play with the music, the way that they work together. So when there's that soars on soars to the sky, you know, or, or the the music look to the the music soars with the word sky. It's almost mm -hmm. like you're looking up and you're like, maybe there's hope, but you can't get out of it. And I agree. This is you can say it's about a longtime girlfriend or whatever, but I'm with you. If this is your longtime girlfriend, maybe you need to get out of that relationship, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> Yeah, that's I mean, going to be I, my I, advice to you, sir. <laughs> but I, I guess for me, you know, hearing this as well, when you're kind of 17, 18, um, you know, and you, you're a mopey teenager <laughs> and whatever, it, it, I don't think, you know, I, I had never been, you know, you're sad, aren't you? You're emotional, you're hormonal as a teenager and stuff. But yeah. Years later, listening to this, it, you know, and when you've been through some of those darker times, it it, it hits you differently, you know. And even uh, the the lyrics that don't fully resonate, say, with depression, but well, you know, down in just, a hole, feeling so small, down in a hole, losing my soul. I like to fly, and that's when that music hits. But my yeah. wings have been so denied. I mean, come yeah. on. So you know, you're like you can't climb out, you can't get free. But you were saying about some of the lyrics are a bit on the nose and, yeah. and where he talks about, I've been guilty of kicking myself in the teeth, you know, and again, it, it just, it is on the nose, but it, it also speaks to just that mindset that you can sometimes get in where you just, you feel like everything's 
not working you feel like you're part of the problem in the world or whatever and you know he's talking about burning his son uh burning his tongue on the taste of the sun kind of thing and, yeah. and it's all for me this, this is a standout track and and again i i don't know maybe we'll we'll do the unplugged version as well but I think if you watch that, knowing that Lane was going through such a terrible time as well, it sort of creates this new dimension where it's, you know, it's almost he's in that moment. He is down in a hole, you know. Yeah. And it's just unable to escape. And so, yeah, I, I, I think this was understandably one of the singles. But for me, this holds up almost as well as anything else on the album. Yeah, I think it's I think it is really good and again perfectly placed. It is in the right spot, you know. It, it, mm-hmm. it, we'll, we're just gonna people get sick of hearing that, but it is it is it is. Um, yeah, I'll just say yeah to everything Dave said. Um, yeah, <laughs> I do think lyrically, um, it's doing a lot of work, and I just like the way that the the harmonies work. It is really they're not the Beach Boys. Let's not let's mm. not be confused, but they do they know what they're doing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah. Not and Cantrell like admitted that, you know, they worked on that. Like he he mm-hmm. worked on trying to get his voice because Lane does different things. Now, the next song, when we get to not my favorite, and I don't necessarily mm. love what Lane's doing voice wise here, but again, he's doing something. Like I'd rather mm-hmm. have you try something and have it kind of you stub your own toe than just do the <laughs> play it safe. Do you know what I mean? And Cantrell yeah. knew what L- Lane had. And he openly said, like, they worked really well together. Like, he's like, Lane's doing something with his voice. If I'm going to back him, mm-hmm. I better up my game. And then Lane was like, Jerry's doing shit on guitar. I better do, I better up my guitar game. Because, you know, they didn't really have a rhythm guitarist. He was mm-hmm. it. So he had to yep. up it. And the fact that you bring up um, that Unplugged thing, and Nirvana did a great Unplugged. Mm-hmm. And I do think, like, I miss Unplugged. I think Unplugged was a brilliant show. Yeah. And, and what it did was, like, a band like this that sounded like a bunch of overproduced noise they were mm-hmm. like, oh, hold my heroin needle, watch. And that's yeah. what they, you know what I mean? So to me, <laughs> those all of those bands, all of those grunge bags that showed up and did Unplugged, LL Cool J did an Unplugged, by the way, which is oh, wow. outstanding. He does, yeah. um, Mama Said Knock You Out While Somebody's Playing Hard to Handle on the Piano. <laughs> it is outstanding. But it's one of those things where people really are showing their musical skills because they are, this mm-hmm. is again, I still think Pearl Jam is a better musical band than Alice in Chains, but there's more mm-hmm. dudes in Pearl Jam. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the more, more musicians you have, you know, the easier it is. The reason Fleetwood Mac is so good is because they've got extra musicians that other bands don't have, you know? So um, anyway, so yeah, down in the hole, super good. Yeah. I definitely think people should check. If you have not seen the unplugged version, it is worth checking out. So the uh, next song, uh, okay. Um, we'll see how I feel about this. This is one that Jerry and Lane wrote together, 529. Love the opening. Thick man. It's probably not one of the strongest songs on the album, but I, I appreciate again that rhythmically it's quite interesting, isn't it? At the start there, 
And apparently Lane asked uh, Cottrell, you know, write me the sickest tune that you could possibly write. And, uh, you know, in terms of being a bit on the nose, yeah. he obviously had Sick Man uh, uh, in his mind there. But again, I, I feel like this this does change in the middle. Oh, yeah. Because you know, you've got that. Do, 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 it's do, a totally do, do, different song. Do. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the way it's kind of real, really choppy. And like you say, I, I don't. I don't love the melody in it, um, but I do like the break when it completely changes, and it gives you that it gives you that swaying sort of feeling, you know, mm. when you're you're not feeling well, it's, uh, da, da, you know, and and it's again knowing that you know they they had their problems and everything and a lot of a lot of the albums about relationships depression and and things like that but you know the through line is is all about the drug use isn't it and and so having never been a heroin addict you know i, I can't really speak to that as an experience but i can imagine that a lot of the things in this song are you know that that feeling of especially when you're trying to get clean when you're trying to come off you know and, and just feeling really rough you know the the closest i've come is is uh watching something like train spotting or something like right. that to give you a an idea of of what that process is like but so yeah i just think the execution is a bit off i, I yeah if, if i'm to be negative about anything it's, it's just that start where it, I, I don't love the the vocals like you say he's trying something different but it just doesn't quite work for me but yeah. still again I, I i never skip past this track it's not one of those but if i was to classify anything as a little bit of filler it would probably be this one i agree i couldn't agree more i do think it gives kenny something to do which is nice he's probably yeah. like i need to fucking hey i'm in this band too <laughs> and you know it's a four piece and really again staley only plays rhythm guitar sometimes most of the time there's not a rhythm guitar yeah. it's it's cantrell looping himself in the studio and or if they're live it's just they don't have one um which again you don't really need it the way that the way that Cantrell plays you don't really need it right because and they're based mm -hmm. with star on bass he's he's yeah. doing double duty he's you know so which you love you love it when you yeah, you know yeah, you're yeah. like yeah we don't need we don't need no stinking rhythm guitar <laughs> that's what the bass player's for um uh but yeah I, I that's it I mean I do think that Kenny gets time to shine I really do like that opening um but then yeah it's just Honestly, the two the part from two fifty to three fifty that minute where it breaks that's mm. my favorite. Like I want that song. Yeah, that's the song that I is want. Good. Yeah, and then and so you know I'll give it that. And again, who were we to say we didn't? We would dream to write Sick Man, right, Dave? Hundred <laughs> percent. And and again, I I think switching and and getting more positive on it. I think it, it's it's almost that if if you're feeling an emotion you know it's a transitory thing you're not you're not in that single emotion for like a whole day mm. you know you're, you're kind of up and down and for me that break is almost you you're feeling almost really anxious and and sick and a, a little bit angry and then you're going into something else which is you know a bit bit more uh kind of spaced or what have you so i i think uh, there are some clever pieces in this but like i say not not my favorite off the album no not at all well let's move to the to the big big hit um that uh is coming in at uh 6 15 and they're like again we'll put this out on the radio um 
written by Cantrell about his father. Like, that's pretty obvious, but I do think in the theme of the album, it takes on a different meaning. Again, as a single, this is a war song. As part of the album, the war means something different. Hmm. That's how I feel. You must love this introduction. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I mean, again, it's again when I think back to being in bands and stuff, and and you'd always you you would discuss. I mean, I, I guess not all bands would. I guess a lot of bands did have those discussions, but deny having them. But but you would talk about having commercial tracks. Sure. You know, you'd have you'd have songs that were just there. You know, and just being experimental or whatever you'd have things that were born out of just some piece of creativity but but you would discuss like oh yeah this one sounds a bit commercial let's work on that and produce that one a little bit more and you can tell this one is really uh you know it's produced for the radio but you know I, i didn't let it play out to the harmonies but my God, what an amazing harmonies just to to kick it off as well. So high and the pair of them just blend so nicely together. And this has got a great kind of, oh, not a fantastic story, I guess, in, in a heartwarming way. But, you know, this is about Jerry's dad, essentially. And he didn't have a relationship with him. You know, he did two tours in Vietnam. He came back he didn't talk about it as a lot of uh, war veterans don't and kind of jerry i guess thought you know uh, that deprived him of, of his relationship with his dad and so he decided to you know write this song and try and get into his dad's head and uh, you know that was his nickname you know in the in the war and stuff rooster and apparently you know his dad saw him and shed a bit of a tear when he saw this and and i think this song went a little bit of the way to to repairing that relationship so but you know musically it's it's a cracking track but not my favorite i think if if i was to say anything off this album i've maybe heard once too many times it, it might be this one um but again if, if i'm going through the rate if i'm going through the album there's no way i'm skipping over this one you know again it's just a nice break from some of the heavier stuff and uh like I say some of the harmonies are, are fantastic on it yeah all of that is true and i do think there is a night and again Knowing the story, right? Knowing the story about his dad, knowing, and you hear it right in there, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's clearly a war song, um, but also it's an anti-war song, which most war songs are. Um, and I, I do like it. I do. I get why it played on the radio. Again, it was a little long. I'm surprised they didn't make them cut it for the radio at 615, but at, where would you cut it? You can't, I mean, you can't cut that opening. Like you can't, unlike, you know, you can't just drop in like them bones. Like this doesn't happen. This song is, they almost like, again, this is where the producers were like, well, we're going to release this one as a single. It's six minutes long. We better make sure that we find a way to keep every second of it. And um, yeah, I I don't think, I I get why, again, like you said, this is the people who've never heard Alice in Chains. The people who don't like Alice in Chains, no rooster for a reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's okay. Listen, good. I want I want musicians to make money. And if this is the way you do it so that you can do, like you said, when you're going in, I'm going to make an album, you can say, we're going to stick Iron Gland on here. We're going to do 
down in a hole. You know, like we're going to do sick man, but nobody's, nobody's releasing sick man. Right. That's, that's, you know, that's why I I do feel it's weird that, um, that they, the, uh, the second to last track, when we get there, I'm shocked that actually got, um, um, angry chair did get released as a, as a single. I'm, I was a little surprised by that, but, um, yeah. So I'm with you. Everything you said, it's a good, it's a good, fine song. I'm glad it exists. Um, I think this is the, and again, there's probably fooled a lot of people too to buy the album. And then they're like, and then it starts <laughs> off with that. Ah, or they're like, what the fuck did I, am I on the wrong speed? Yeah. You know, like people, people always joked when they got the first, um, when revolution one came out, the single version mm. of revolution, the fast version, not the, not the white, the album version of revolution, Beatles revolution yeah. is the slow version. Um, but the, but the real version, people mm. thought they were playing it at the wrong speed. Right. Which again, when you think about that, that's not even the fastest song on the White Album. That's Helter no, Skelter. No. You know, that's Helter Skelter. But it's just funny, you know. So yeah, I, I appreciate what they did. They're like, hey, let's make, let's make, let's make a song go platinum. And it's, but it was, it was the fourth single release too. I mean, this was almost mm. a year after the album came out. They released Rooster, but they clearly knew it would get there. So, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that's that's a it's a good fine song. It's it's not my favorite in any shape or form, but I'm sure it's a lot of people's favorite. So let's flip the record over and uh, let's get fucked up. So you're the musician, Dave. Did Lane do this slurry underwater sound himself, or is that produced right here? Oh, there's there's something going on with his vocals. It's there, unreal. So. This is yeah. to me. I don't really even love this song. Again, the lyrics a little too on the nose. It's called Junk Man. Turn me on my new favorite. I do it. I have money so I can get stoned. It's all there. But the slurry voice, like you talked about, mm. Sick Man. How there's that moment in the middle, that one minute in the middle where it's dis- disconcerting. My favorite part of that song. The way they do his lyrics, the way they do his voice in junk junkhead mm. is my favorite part of it because it's it feels slurry he feels fucked up so again yeah. i don't know if that's him you know when i saw him live you know he pulled away from the mic at that part mm. but you know i don't maybe that's just what they were doing in the studio or is there something they would have done to wah over the top so of it it sounds, sounds to me like he's he's got that the the prominent vocal is the one that you can you can hear mostly but when you're listening to it on the headphones you, you can tell there's another track that's quite low down in the mix mm-hmm. that does sound like it's got some kind of uh effect on it but also he, he's he's singing it quite a bit lower as well and it does give you this kind of just feeling of of shooting up i guess doesn't yeah. it? even without having experience of that but you can just uh this this was one that i think they they were a bit nervous about it glorifying drug use you yeah. know a lot of it like like you say with rooster it's it's a war song but it's an anti-war song and for me this is an album about or part of the album is about drugs but it's an anti-drug i album. think it is yeah yeah 
but I don't think a lot of people got that message, you know, and think it's is just look at the obvious. But yeah, yeah, this this one is definitely they're they're playing around with the effects to give you that sense of of basically being on drugs. I agree. And I do think well, it's like we talked about with Brad when we covered the boys, right? It's like, mm. do you show the bad thing and then hope people are smart enough to understand we're not saying like there's no good guys in the boys. Everybody's terrible. Yeah. Um, nobody's supposed to be a hero. And I know people still watch the boys TV show. Don't read the comic and think Homelander's cool. No, he's I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drugs are bad. To me, the effects get this is where this song falls apart because they did, like you said, they were nervous about it and didn't trust themselves. So while the effects are cool, the lyrics are so on the nose and I don't know how anybody could, could read it and be like, yeah, drugs are cool, but people are dumb. Mm. I mean, it does say, what's my drug of choice? Well, what have you got? Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. But, but to think... me, that reeks of desperation. Oh, or... yeah, yeah. It does. It 100% does. And like I say, when they were recording it, you know, despite the fact that the LA riots were, were rampant, looking sneaking out and trying to get himself a score, you know, because he was in that state where he just doesn't care for his own physical safety. He just needs to, to find a dealer. So, yeah, I, 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 I feel like this, again, showcases his vocals quite well. I, I think when it... It comes out of that, uh, you know, slurry bit, you know, the the sort of disoriented bit, and he's just belting it out. And you've got, again, this is quite ploddy. So, again, for me, this is more kind of Sabbath-like, you know, that's got that plod into it. But, you know, just having his vocals across the top, I I just think, uh, again, I think I said it before, but just no other vocalist quite does what he does. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. Um, all right, well, let's get to the title track, which is interesting. That it's called Dirt, comes in at 517. And it's a title track that wasn't released as a single, so that's an interesting choice. Written by Jerry and Lane. Little bit of Indian vibe, which I dig. I don't know that they played sitar on this, but they should have. Yeah, definitely. Again, what do you, you think? Got a bit what more you... Jerry kind of wah wah pedal. Yeah, wah wah. That's what my notes say. Wah 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 wah. Yeah, I I think to be honest, the the name, the album name, Dirt. I think comes more from the the album cover idea, mm. you know, because way before they they did it, and I, I can't remember the actress or the model's name, but she was uh, she was also the model who did Spinal Taps Bitch oh, School no album, way. apparently. Yeah. Really amazing. <laughs> it's the same one. It, it looks like Lane's old girlfriend, but but it's not. So, no, I, I kind of like the way this this starts off. Like you say, it's not just the, you know, they could have had some sitar on there. <laughs> Excuse me, but um, no, the the there's something about the harmonies, isn't there, that just has that kind of eastern feel, and uh, again, something a, a little bit different there. But again, this is probably part of the story. 
as opposed to being something where you think, oh, that that fit great as a, as a single or something. You know, it's uh, it, I guess it's just all around being that that being dirty. You know, so I, yeah. I, I think there's plenty of interesting uh, musical stuff going on here, but you know, probably get even though the second side is it's got more of a story to it. You could definitely make the case for the second side being more of a concept album yeah, yeah. than the whole album. But I, I think the the standout tracks don't fit with this one. It, this is more just a, an end-to-end listening experience, I feel. Yeah, no, I agree. And I do think Dirt, I actually wrote, it's the most musical song on the album. And so again, it's it's like a break. And interesting, this isn't like the Junkhead is the first song on side two, not dirt, but it almost, and again, I wouldn't, again, time is time, but like, I do think dirt is like a breather, mm. you know, like we're fucked Cracking up. guitar solo in it as well. It does have a guitar solo in it. Yeah. At 320. I said, oh, I think there's a guitar solo. There's only like two <laughs> songs that have one. I, remember, yeah. I wrote down the time because it, it, it <laughs> breathes by. I'm like, wait, I'm trying to look and see. I didn't even know. Um, yeah. I think it's the most musical song. And I do feel like though, again, to, to the concept you're fucked up, sick man. You know, I feel like the rooster song is about being, you know, I know it's a war song, but also if you go through the concept that you're all fucked up now, you're on all the drugs and Junkhead is like, now it's like, I'll take whatever you got, but you don't have it anymore. So then dirt comes in and it's this like, you're, you're lost. You're either on the high or you're coming down from the high, but it is this, it is this liminal space. And that's what I feel this song is. And isn't jarhead like a, a term used in the U.S. for, for Marines for someone in the military? Or for the Marines, Marines in particular, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got that, you know, so Junkhead, I, yeah. I wondered if that was a, a little bit of a play on jarhead. Sure, that easily could be, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, it's there's, I mean, dirt, I just think it's, like you said, it you can't skip it if you're listening to the whole album. You wouldn't be like at a party and be like, dirt! No, yeah. nobody cares. People would boo. What the fuck is this? What are you... <laughs> Skip. Um, yeah, but I think I do feel like it's this really cool resting liminal space. Um, and so it leads into, so again, part of the concept. So you've got, you're on the drugs, you're off the drugs, you're fucked up. And then the phrase that whether they, they didn't invent it, there's a band with the name of this next song. It literally, it's, it's the shorthand for having a heroin overdose. Um, Coming in at 356. I never knew that. Godsmack, yes. And the lyrics of this song tell you about how awful it is. Mm. This is angry, right? To go right out of dirt yeah. to this. So talk about the falsetto. I know you love his voice, but I feel like he swings and misses a bit. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, even at, at that beginning bit, it's got that warble. Yeah. Like it, it's not quite in control. Yeah. He does a lot with yeah. his voice, but maybe he doesn't have the voice to pull that off. Or is that, again, was that intentional? I don't know. I, I think I, I'm not quite sure what he was going for there. But I, again, you feel uh, almost like the rage in it. For me, you mm. you feel like you know he's frustrated with uh, the situation. I can't remember if this was one that he wrote as well. And I, I 
I know there was they a, wrote the it band together. called Right, because I, I I know there's the band called Godsmack. I, yeah. I don't know if that they was say in it, reference they say to they this. Didn't name, they say they weren't influenced by the name of this song. They're right, saying it was okay. just the phrase Godsmack that, that Alison Chains didn't invent the term Godsmack. Mm-hmm. It exists. And so the band Godsmack sang, we just did that on our own. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's with with them because they. I don't remember them that well, but I, I seem to remember they were kind of alternative as well. So it, it seems seems odd that you wouldn't at least be aware of this track. But I'm I not a they, big fan of Godsmack. They're, no, they are, I I could do without them as a band. Like as humans, live your lives, and I'm glad people like them. They were never for me. Mm. Yeah. So I, I think the most interesting thing about this song is is the sort of change in time. You know, because mm. when it goes into the into the chorus bit, it almost again it's a, an old Sabbath style <laughs> glue two songs together. Um, yeah, you know, because it it goes into a very different sort of feel to it, where you know it's it's like what in God's name have you done? And uh, you know, but then it drops back in again, and and again you get a bit more wah wah from uh, from Jerry. So again, it's just. Not a standout single, but no. you know, fits perfectly here. Right, that's well said. Um, and so things that maybe don't fit perfectly. So in your recorded, this was not on the original uh, album. Forty-three seconds. That's the lead singer from Slayer. Showing up to scream, I am Iron Gland. Ha ha ha. Um, some some research says that it's, a, it's supposed to be a dream sequence, like while you're at the end. And so to me, if that's true and you're all fucked up on your heroin overdose, right? Godsmack, you'd have the I am Iron Gland. I don't know. I could do without it, Dave. Yeah, I it, it feels odd to me uh, for this to be there. Legend has it, you know, this was a riff that Jerry would play play in the studio, <clears throat> and they sort of did a deal with him that if they allow him to play it on the album, he'll never play it again. <laughs> I, that's oh. officially <laughs> true now. So whether it's true or not, I, I think I like to think so. I guess, uh, you know, it's it's one of those weird things. I, I talked about Nirvana, and and they would have. You know, at the end of Nevermind, there was this just bizarre experimental weirdness at the end of the album. So it does sound odd to my ears. It, it sort of takes me out of the album a little bit. I don't need it to be there. Yeah. But in the same respect, I kind of appreciate that it that it is. It's just this weird little break that doesn't necessarily mean anything. You get a bit of a cameo. You know, this this was another you know thing that came out of that grunge era. You had the supergroups, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, Mother you Love Bone. Yeah, came out of this, and um, so yeah, I, I could definitely do it without this. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we talked longer than the song was. Yeah. Um. All right. Now, next two tracks are both written by Staley, where he plays guitar himself, too, which is interesting. Um. Not by himself, obviously. This is called Hate to Feel by 15.
definite son of fail. Drunk, right? He feels drunk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, again, the lyrics are, are on the nose, but also written to fit this album. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. we, he wants you to know how he feels. What the fuck <laughs> will it take? I really, I mean, I like that is interesting because he wrote this himself, but then obviously Jerry came in and, and heard it and was like, what if I do this? Because that's, you know, the mm-hmm. guitar and the voice at the same time, I, I find an interesting play and again it's just about being you know i hate to feel so like if you're on drugs you either don't want to come down or you want to stay on drugs so you're not feeling your other feelings so i think it again it has its place not my favorite um what say you yeah so for me uh, that hate to feel it is about escapism isn't it it's you know when you're coming down and then you have to sort of face up to real life which must be really hard for a you know any kind of rock star i mean again i I still think these guys lane in particular fame they they didn't handle it very well and so you know having to deal with real life and stuff like that it's like oh you know what let's just completely escape from this then i'm going to feel you know, great for a bit at least. And then when I start to not feel great again, then I'll I'll score some more and, and I'll, I'll I'll be numb to all this stuff again. So yeah, really interesting uh subject matter, I guess, without being a, a fantastic song. Yeah, all of that is true. And I think these two songs go together in that way, which again is why it's super weird to me. We'll, we'll move faster into the next song just because I think that they go together, if that's okay. Because I feel like I can't get to why they released Angry Chair as a song, as a single. Because what, I mean, I love that right there. Yeah. But to me, it goes with me to feel. And again, unlike Wood and Rooster and them bones that you can't drop in as songs by themselves, this was the third single they released too. I don't love it. I don't like it, actually. By itself. With Hate to Feel, it's one song. I don't know. So, so again, I, I feel like we should talk about them. I would like to discuss them together. Like, what the lyrics work together. Musically, mm. they work together. They put them back-to-back on the album for a reason. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't even remember hearing this on the radio, Dave. So I think th- this one might have appeared more in in the UK. I, mm. I seem to remember this one more so than, say, even Rooster. Oh. I, I don't think, uh, you know, this seemed to get played on MTV quite a bit. And I guess sort of contrary to, to what you were just saying there, I think to a teenager, you know, when you've got, I mean, that brilliant mm. sort of tone on the bass just coming in, but the idea that you you know you just you're just angry now i think i i read something different into the lyrics there because i think for me how i interpreted it first is just sometimes you're just in a shit mood and there's no explanation for it no one's <laughs> done no one's done anything nice. you know you, you you know you could have an argument with yourself in a in a closed room by yourself and and there's there's nothing anyone can say 
and, and you know you just have to take yourself out of situations to just not be around people. For me, that's how I introduced. Uh, that's how I interpreted it the first time, and I like the kind of da 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 da, and then a the little bend. But the <laughs> listening to it in later years. So, so let me be abstract for a second. So, Please. Pulp Fiction, one of my one of my favorites. So, when John Travolta's character Vincent Vega there, when he gets killed off by Butch, he's coming out of the toilet. Yeah. And the theory is that it's because he was constipated. He was a heroin addict. Right. So he's massively constipated. So he's in the toilet all the time trying to poop. That's what this is about. Sitting mm, on an angry, angry chair. chair. <laughs> Stomach hurts, but I don't care. So, you know, I, I think that's what it's about nice. now if, okay. I, if I look at it. So, yeah. uh, you know, again, you with the whole drug kind of theme to this second side and it's not glorifying it. Oh, um, no. I, I think it's, it's definitely that it's more so that, you know, you're on the crapper trying to have a shit, but you can't, <laughs> you know, and this is yeah. just one of the negative side effects of, of the heroin. I like that. I like that. I feel like for me, that makes a lot of sense. So to me, it, it's, it's too, this is where, they split up the songs as two songs. Not that I want a fucking nine minute song, but to me, they're one <laughs> song. And so I struggled with it because it's like in my notes, I'm like, well, I almost feel like Hate to Feel was a little too long, but then I felt like Angry Chair is part of that song. So again, if they're going to do a mashup, maybe these would be the two. This is the, well, I do think it fits into the total. And I like your, you're saying how you could argue with yourself in a closed room, but I do get what you're saying like sometimes you're just in a shitty mood for no reason so i get all that mm -hmm. i just feel like it was such a and again i guess it's a ballsy choice to release it as a single to be like we're going to stick this out there i think musically it's it's really good i think this is musically better than uh hate to feel i think hate to feel lyrically i like a little bit better i don't know there's mm -hmm. just something about them together it's a combo thing um mm -hmm. and i know it's what he brought to the table on his own too mm -hmm. uh, which again takes pretty is courage you know like you're the singer you know, this is part of the time when singers didn't always write the words they were singing, right? You know, yeah, this yeah. this is, you know, th there was there was a time when there was like you know, the the lead guitarist or the whomever is like, I'm writing the songs and you're fucking singing them, and that's what we're going to do and sing the songs. Yeah. Dave David Lee Roth, sing the song. You know, <laughs> so and he didn't obviously. Um, he I know he wrote <laughs> some of those lyrics obviously, but. So, but for the lead singer who who is really just a singer to come in and be like, I'm going to learn guitar. I'm going to write some songs. I'm going to bring them. I, 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 you know, that takes balls. So I applaud anybody who makes art. So, um, well, anyway, okay, cool. I love your angry shit. So I'll never listen to it. <laughs> Next time I listen to it, that's how I'm going to think about this. Angry, constipated, Lane Staley. Maybe that's why when I saw him, he kept squatting down. <laughs> yeah, possibly. He's trying to do the squatty potty right on stage. Um, <laughs> All right, and the final the final song, which people heard long before this album came out, because it was in the movie Singles, mm. Cameron Crowe's Singles. Um, and this is clearly a song made for the radio. It was the first single released. Um, and I, abstractly, it doesn't seem like it should fit to this album, but I actually think so this is the part I'm going to say to you, Dave. Wood ends in the middle of, of a song, in the middle of a moment. And then Them Bone begins in the middle of a song. Uh, mm. Was that 
production done. Like, because Wood just is like, if I would, could you? Bam! It ends. There's no even jangle. It's like they grab the symbols. It stops. And then Dem Bones starts. So it's to me, it makes the whole album loop. That's my mm. favorite part about Wood is that Wood ends and then Bones begins in the same space. What do you think? I, I love that theory. I, I, but what I would say is it, it might... I might have to go back and and uh, test that theory out. Yeah. But when I get to the end of this album, I can literally start it again. Yeah. Like I I can play it on a loop. Um. I, whereas a lot of the a lot of the other albums, you know, I I kind of listen to, but by the end of it, I'm like physical graffiti. Thank fuck for that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll put that away and listen to something else and and give my ears a, a rest. Um, whereas this one, I, I I can just get to the end of Wood and then play you know them bones again and and have done many times over the years. But it's interesting, isn't it, that it's spelled Wood as in Would you do something? Mm-hmm. But it was. Uh, Jerry's uh, one of his friends, wasn't it? Um, Mother, the, the, the guy, guy from Mother Love Bone, yeah. Mother Love Bone guy was, was called Wood, W O O D, and so it was, you know, a lot of it was about him. And so, um, yeah, again, I've got to say the bass tone. Oh, I wrote down the bass oh, is the best so part. Good. This is the best yeah. bass in the whole album yeah wow definitely just the the tone of it and you can you can hear that he's playing it with a pick as well you you wouldn't be able to get that that kind of sound from your fingers and plucking it so is that no, right it's, that's because it really it's good. so sharp that's what that's what you're getting that well, so so the tone you, you can see I, to me they, they've added in a bit of high end so mm. you, you can really hear when 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 you add in more when you take out the high end and you have more of the low end that's when you get the boom 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 you know that boomy kind of thing but when you add in the high end that's when you can hear a lot of the uh the scratches and things the higher frequencies so um no just brilliant brilliant intro but also restrained on guitar as well so real atmospheric guitar to to kind of introduce it all it just no, it's a it's a really good track. I mean, I I, I wouldn't have for me this isn't a, a single that I would have put out, but you know, obviously this predated the rest of the album, didn't it? So I guess had it not done that, would it have been a single? I, I'm not sure, but no, a good one to finish on. Yeah, and I do I think so too. And I just think it's it's shocking that your first single is your last song on that record. Yeah. Um, but again, to me, it's 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 last because it's also first because it's all one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it, it brings the concept album concept together. So to me, obviously this is about, it's obviously a drug journey as we've talked on, but it's also the dirt, the name dirt, the, the album dirt, the digging your own grave kind of thing. There's a, there's a uh, James Joyce is an asshole. I, uh, I'm here. All the Joyce heads are going to throw some at me, but like Finnegan's Finnegan's wake as a book, right? it begins and ends in the middle of a sentence and it's written in all these different languages and it's impossible to read. Like recently I was speaking to somebody in my library friends group who said she was, she, one of her friends, not one of the library friends, but one of her friends is in a book club that they read. It took them five or 10 years to read Finnegan's wake as the book, as the, 
because right. it's it's just it's bananas. It's Joyce and at his worst and his best and all those things. Mm-hmm. And it's like a feat of literature, but it's also garbage, just like most of everything he does. At me, people. But this album is that. Like I like to me listening to it over and over on the loop on my little MP3 player where I can just do repeat. So it does start and end and never stopped. Mm. It was it it changed the way I felt about it. And when we get to my ratings, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm going to rate it higher than I would have when I first saw you put it up in our Discord. I was like, mm-hmm. Dave's going to be mad. Um, so <laughs> to me, Foo that's the, what's that? Uh, you probably thought, oh, it's another Foo Fighters. Yeah, no, I didn't think it would be that. <laughs> Never ever. But I did feel like, um, yeah. So I just think like the concept is life, death. It's like you could easily argue that the main character of this album is dead. And like, this is a very trapped in hell and or Hmm. the drugs are hell, you know, like the purgatory of being in drugs. You're like, you're going through the being high, being off drugs, being, being, you know, in the moment of like being stoned, needing desperately something. What's your drug of choice? What do you got? So it's really taking you on a journey. And then when it's over, guess what? It doesn't fucking end. It starts all over because Hmm. it's a cycle. It's a horrible cycle of addiction. And that it obviously ended the band. It ended his life. It ended lots of lives. You know, so that's how I, that's my uh, crackpot English teacher theory of this album. No, that that would make sense, to be honest. And and I hadn't really given it much thought um, about whether it is designed almost to, to loop around. But like, say, uh, at the end of the album, it feels appropriate to start it again and I, i'd never really consciously thought about it until you just said that then so maybe, maybe it was intentional yeah i don't know that's just how it feels because it like starts in the middle of a sun it starts in the middle mm. of a beat and it ends just and there's not like a, even a ringing symbol yeah you know what i mean it, it's like if i would could you eh, like yeah. the maestro cuts the shit and everybody stops so yeah um well, I will. Thanks for this, Dave. Thanks for picking this. I, I'm really glad. I'm really glad we did it because, again, my that's the joy of doing the show is that you think about things in a different way. Mm. Um, and so I am gonna. So I'll give everybody the rating. So we're gonna rate them. If it's the greatest album you've ever heard, it goes to Paradise City. If it's really good, but it has some, you know, it's not perfect. You hang out with Doctor Feel Good. If it's good but needs some work, it goes to the Crossroads. If it is um, if it is on the way down, it goes to Skid Row. And if it is the worst thing you've ever heard in the world, it goes to Hotel California where it can never check out because that is hell. Um, so I'm actually, honestly, my gut reaction was like, oh, it's going to be a crossroads. And it's not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give it a Paradise City. Or not, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm going to give it a Dr. Feelgood. Oh, because, it's easy me. Sorry. I'm going to give it a Dr. <laughs> Feelgood because there's some stuff I don't like. I don't like the, I really don't like Sick Man that much. I don't like some of the falsetto stuff um, that he does on the Godsmack song. I don't, I don't care for uh, a couple of other things. But I do think as an album, this is where individually i don't know that i'd rank any one of these out this is the weird none of these songs we were ranking doing this song by song i couldn't give any of the songs a dr feelgood as an album it is a dr feelgood because of what they did because of the work that they did the musician cantrell is a brilliant songwriter musically it's great it's well produced it's well mixed 
um, their harmonies. I didn't, you know, like you said, listening to it in your headphones, their their harmonies are really great. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. I was surprised. I surprised myself. Very good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I do feel like it is a it's quite an underrated album. I, I feel like you know if people talk about grunge, they do tend to think more about Nirvana. Pearl Jam, Soundgarden first, and then Alice in Chains are, the, are this kind of ginger-headed stepchild almost. <laughs> but I think, and I know there is a lot of love as well, so it's not yeah. underrated by everyone, but but I do think it is a, a really, really great and classic album. I, I was wobbling a little bit because I, you know, again, it, it's funny, you, you listen to albums for years, and then when you try and dissect each song, I, I was listening to it, and that second side, I think there there are no standouts that you go, oh wow, you know, if I if I need to have my desert island discs, you know, and and they were singles, you know, I probably wouldn't take anything off the second side with me. However, you know, as an album experience, you know, it, it still fits so well for me. So, but I was when I was thinking about the individual songs on the second uh, second side, if you like. I was thinking, oh, maybe I won't rate this as high as I as I thought I would, but but no, it's going to be a paradise city for me. I think as a as an end to end album, and again for a band that shone so brightly for a really short amount of time, you know, as that original lineup and then just tragically ended. I mean. Uh, we'll probably never do it here or maybe if uh, in 10 years if we're still going through it we might cover mad seasons um album mm. but that was that was another interesting one that staley did um but but not a patch on on this album for me this this is the, one of the greats so we heard from max and he says He's going to put it in a crossroad. Whilst being from Seattle, they're not a grunge band for me. Always seen them as a hard rock band bordering onto metal. Down in the Hole is a magical song. I like the harmonized vocals that are often used by the band. I think they've got better songs on some other albums, but this is a strong one. And so, with Max's rating, putting it at a crossroads, that makes the updated list... Thus, number one, still Appetite for Destruction. Number two, Paranoid. Number three, Master of Puppets, tied with The Real Thing by Faith No More. And then Skid Row, Skid Row and Dirt are both tied at fifth. So we've got one, two, two at three, and two at five. So that is where we are. So that slips right in there. Overall average of four, pretty good stuff. Like we said at the beginning of the show, we're going to keep, we're going to do this once a month. So Happy New Year. In a month, we're either going to be listening to uh, Iron Maiden, yeah. number, right, number three, or in it, it. And this is really, you're going to be shocked when I tell you the the band we're going <laughs> to listen to and how it ties into all of this, because nobody thinks of this band as a metal band, but the singer, lead lead songwriter, and and um, all around, you know, frontman of this band loves metal. And when he moved out to Los Angeles to be in a band, it was to be a noodling lead guitarist. His favorite band <laughs> is Kiss. We're talking about, and we're, and I know this is mandatory, and I know this is a, this is going to be up for debate, people, because like, what makes something classic? Well, I believe like as soon as Tom Petty released "Into the Great Wide Open," that was a classic song. Like the day it dropped, like you're mm. like, this song should be on classic rock songs stations yep. already. Like, so it's not about how old it is. So do I think the album I'm going to pick is mandatory? I do. It'll be interesting to see. So we're going to go back to Weezer 
2014's Everything Will Be All Right in the End, produced by Rick Ocasek, who produced their first album as well. So Rick Ocasek is back. Um, I'm very excited. So uh, that's so it'll either be Weezer or it'll be Iron Maiden, and Weezer loves Iron Maiden, which is which is surprising. What are your <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, initial reaction to knowing that it's going to be not just a Weezer album, but that Weezer album. Have you ever listened to it? I you know I've I've got to admit I'm kind of a casual Weezer fan. You know I like Buddy Holly when I, sure. I first heard that when it came out. Hash Pipe is probably yep, my favorite the track album. that they did. Rick, yep, Rick Ocasek um, did that album too. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, but I don't know if I'll have heard this one before. Okay. So I've heard you and Mike, you know, wax yeah. lyrically about Weezer. So, yeah. so I, I, yeah. I did feel like, you know, listening to the conversation and I thought, you know, I should listen to more Weezer. And then days go by and weeks go by. And I think, which album? You know, there's so many. <laughs> there Where are. the hell do I start? Well, so, so this you know, is, you... Mike and I discussed this when I was going to pick one. We were torn because on the show, Mike and I did a show. I said, if you're going to try to get a non-Weezer fan, you start with Make Believe, um, because that's like the most radio ready for for everybody. That's got Beverly Hills on it, right? And so we're just like, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to do it. But as we were going back and forth, we both agreed that everything will be all right at the end is actually like Make Believe on steroids. So that's how we felt. We'll see when I revisit it. Mm -hmm. I listen to Weezer all the time. So it won't be that, <laughs> won't be that hard of a stretch for me. So 2014's Everything Will Be All Right Again or Number of the Beast, Iron Maiden. Sounds so we'll good. find out. All right, man. Well, thank you, Dave. So what do you have coming up? This is coming out. Jan this is the first week of January. What's coming up? First week of January, uh, which I should be prepared for, shouldn't I, really? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we did release Predator this week as right. we record of January is Last Action That's Hero. my pick. Okay. All yeah. right. All right. No, I've got Predator. <laughs> That's next up. I was going to listen to it while I was making dinner. How exciting. <laughs> So yeah, that, that's how I know because uh, yeah. like I'd say uh, ACDC in particular is right, quite prominent course. through yeah. that one. Nice, but uh, yeah. So uh, and I won't spoil the the next one. Okay, don't spoil. <laughs> yeah, that. and of course the reality cast and coming up maybe sometime in February on Comics in Motion, the one thousandth Comics in Motion show is happening. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, to be honest, the fact that we've got to nearly a thousand is more testament to you and Mike have been <laughs> pulling the juggernaut along a bit. Although we yeah. did, we did release uh, yeah, she you know, the He Man and She Ra Love it. Christmas special. Yeah, it was amazing. That was <laughs> that a great was a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, Spider Dan and I are going to do a hostile takeover of TV and movies because there's an independent comic called Officer Down about a cop, uh, down with an E, about a cop who can't be killed while he's fighting crime. And it's like a glory, crazy, gonzo, nutso thing. Because I nice. Spider Dan, I'm like, what do you want to do? And he's like, how about Officer Down? And there's a film. So we're going to do the movie. We're oh, going to wow. do the comic on Indie Comic Spotlight. And then the following week, we'll release TV and movies where Hostile Takeover, where we do. So we're going to record them back to back. Uh, awesome. the movie, film version of Officer Down. So that's coming up. And then uh, Jack and I are going to finish up our season screenings of Deadwood. So that's what's up. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, and Dan will be covering, so you know, the 92 X-Men animated yeah, yeah. series. So they've got a new series coming out and Dan's going to be covering that. I don't think he's decided on a title just yet. But Okay, uh, cool. So a month, a week by week, just like the other shows. Like the yeah, like Mike. Oh, yeah. cool. Nice. That'll be really cool. That'll be cool. Well, I'm sure you'll appear. And maybe, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Dave knows Rogue. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I'll break out the old uh, 
soundbite at some point. 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a treat. Thank you, sir. Everybody listen to more music. Listen to albums. This is the way music was made to be. Whether you listen on Wax or whether you're streaming or whatever, listen to the whole album front to, front to back. Artists are telling a story. And so here we are. This has been a treat. Thank you for picking this, my friend. And uh, we'll see everybody in February with either Iron Maiden or Weezer. Bye. Awesome. Bye now.